So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. So now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from them and return him to his father. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water. Joseph's life fell apart. We've been looking at the life of Joseph, and up to this point, he's had the favor of his father. His father gave him a coat of many colors or a long sleeve robe showing, I favor you, you're going to be my heir. He even had dreams from God that he was going to rule over his family one day. And yet, as Joseph went to go find his brothers and give a report back to his father on how they were doing taking care of the flock of sheep, his brothers throw him into a pit. I mean, think about that with your siblings, like real life for a second. Not just that your siblings picked on you or that they tried to embarrass you, which I think we've all experienced at the hands of our siblings, if you have siblings, but they were so upset with him. They, they hated him so much because his father loved him more than the others that they said, let's kill him. And not only did they throw him into this pit, but soon after that, some people came by on their way to Egypt, and they said, hey, why would, why would we kill him? Why would we leave him here? We could get something out of him. We could get some money if we sell him into slavery. His brothers sold him into slavery where he ended up in Egypt. And just think for a moment, if you were kidnapped, sold into slavery, which does happen to people even in our country today, if you were taken off somewhere else, you didn't know, you didn't know anybody there, and you finally get to that place, and just think about that first night. Just imagine what it would be like when Joseph laid down wherever he was with Potiphar, the, the captain of the guards of Pharaoh in Egypt. Could he sleep? Like, what, what would be going through his mind? I, I struggled to sleep with a normal day, let alone being thrown in a pit and sold in slavery. Like, it must have felt terrifying. I mean, he must have been afraid. He must have been angry. He f must have felt betrayed. Like, Joseph's life was completely falling apart. Now, I don't know what it's like to be thrown into a pit or sold into slavery, but I know what it's like to have my life fall apart. In 2019, um, you can see a picture of my brain right here. No, I'm just kidding. That's not my brain. But um, I, I had to go get shock therapy on my brain. I've mentioned this before if you've been here with us, but um, I, I had never had any health issues growing up. I never had anxiety. I never had, I, I thought that was kind of made up stuff, to be honest. And in 2019, my parents both had phone calls with me talking about how they were going to get divorced. Um, one of my 
one of the people closest to me in my life um, ended up taking someone's life. Um, someone very close to me went through a very public moral failing, and um, I was working. I was second year in my job as a as a college pastor in, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and I was burnt out and. I was so full of anxiety. I went around all throughout the day, every day. If any of you kind of struggle with this, you know what I'm talking about. I just constantly thought I was going to die. I just constantly thought something's going to happen to me and I'm going to die. And it was to the point where I was so paranoid about it, so overwhelmed by it that I just, I, I had to do something. I didn't know what. And so my parents started looking into things and to be honest, to this day, I'm still kind of like, is, was that legit? I don't know what that was all about. I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing to think about that I sat in a chair and got shocked right on the front of my head. So I, I know what it's like to feel like my life is falling apart. I, I knew the feelings of fear. I knew the feelings of frustration and just thinking, God, why is this happening to me? Like, I, I've committed my life to not do the career path I wanted to do so that I could do this because I feel like you're calling me to do it. And yet I do that, and then here I am, and my life is falling apart. And the reality is, is that uh, this isn't a thing that's unique to Joseph or myself, that all of us, either our lives have fallen apart, they currently are falling apart, or they will fall apart at some point. And so everybody in the room today, no matter what age you are, no matter what, where you fit in the demographics, every single person today uh, experiences these challenges. And so for some of us, it's come in the form of a divorce. For some of us, it's come uh, out of a desire maybe to be married that's gone unfulfilled. Maybe for some of you, um, it's you had a child and they've gone wayward. Uh, for some of you, you're wanting to have a child and just can't seem to get pregnant. For some of you, it's the death of a close loved one or family member. We know the feelings of bitterness and grief and sorrow can come through life. Like, obviously, there's some really great things about life, but there's also these really dark valleys. And so usually when I preach, I'm very textual. So I'm, I'm, I'm preaching a text, and I work my way through that text to recapture God's voice that was written through that text. But this week, as I was writing the message, I wrote a message doing that, and then I just felt like, man, I'm praying, I'm thinking, I feel like God is saying, Preston, you just need to go straight to the theme of this text, which is Joseph's life falling apart as he gets thrown in a pit. And the reason, Preston, that you need to do that is because there's people in our church who that's how they feel right now. That's what they're going through right now. They feel like their life is falling apart. There's hardships, there's trials, there's struggles. And you need to just speak directly to people who feel like their life is falling apart. And so the question that I think that either we're asking right now or the question that we need to be asking because, like I said, your life is going to fall apart at some point. And the best time to get prepared is before it starts falling apart. Uh, the question is, what do I do when my life is falling apart? Like, how do I respond? It, is there anything that I can do? 
And so today, I, I just, I believe that God wants to speak to you, to everybody in general, like normal, and specifically to a few of you like normal, but I, I really this morning came in with a sense that God wants to speak to some of you who are in the pit. And so I want to give you four steps of faith this morning as I'm praying, as I'm reading the scriptures, talking to people who've been through it themselves. Here's four things that I believe uh, can help us. So if you're taking notes, um, pull out your phone, something to write on, write these down, and it's going to be really practical and hopefully really helpful. So here's the first thing that we can do when our life is falling apart. Number one, believe that there is purpose in your pit. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. When we find ourselves in a pit, when our life is falling apart, I think it's easy to feel like, man, this is pointless. There's no reason to this. There's no rhyme. This is wasted. This is all for nothing. And we get discouraged. And I think that one of the first things we've got to do is we've got to settle in our mind. There's got to be a conviction in our mind, even if we don't feel it. That's important. Even if we don't feel it, we decide in our mind to choose to believe that God can bring good from this really bad thing. I'm not even answering the question of why did this thing happen to me that's causing my life to fall apart? Because there's a variety of answers from God's judgment to spiritual forces of evil to sinful people in this world to your own sinful actions to we just live in a broken world. There's a whole bunch of reasons why. So I'm not trying to answer that question. But what I'm saying is when you find yourself in the pit, don't think it's pointless. I want to show you something that I, a couple years ago my mentor shared with me. Uh, it, it's a journey. It's a picture of the journey of the Christian life. All right, so here's... Here's the idea. Some of you might have seen this before in a books uh, by John Mark Comer or Pete Scazzaro, Spirit, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. So it starts off these six stages of faith. The first one is awareness of God. So we might say it like this. We might say the first stage of faith, you're going to be born again. You're going to get saved, right? So here you would profess your faith, you get baptized. Some of you, that's, that's where you have been recently. The second step is a life of discipleship. So this is really becoming like Jesus and doing spiritual disciplines. So like think every time we talk about reading the Bible, praying, fasting, things like that, that would kind of fall into that bucket of I'm personally growing through doing spiritual disciplines and following Jesus. The next stage, and obviously this is not like a clear boom, 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 boom kind of thing. It's just an idea of the, of the journey. The third thing is the productive life. So some of you, you're doing the spiritual disciplines, you're wanting to grow, but like we talked about last week, at some point you gotta serve, you gotta make disciples, you gotta contribute. So it's not just I'm reading the Bible, I'm praying, I'm growing, it's I'm helping others, I'm blessing others, I'm, I'm being productive for God, I'm doing things for God. And here's what some of these authors talk about. They say that in evangelicalism, which is a loaded word, whatever, and churches kinda like ours, that most spiritual formation paths or most discipleship pathways, they, they stop there. They go from worship to groups to serve, right? And so 
they say that one of the biggest challenges for us is that that's, that's all that there is in our journey. Come to church, get in a life group, serve on a ministry team, share your faith, make disciples, like that's it. And so what these people who came with this stage of, stage of faith say at least is that there's actually three more stages throughout our life until we die, if we lived old age. And so the next one is a journey inward. So they just kind of say that at some point, uh, it's not just about doing, but you begin to really kind of have self-reflection of yourself and God and start to think, wait, is God really like this? Am I really like this? And, and you really start to wrestle with your own self and with God kind of in a deeper way. Uh, something that happens in the fourth stage is called the wall. I'm going to come back to that in just a second, flush it out more. But after the wall, which is like a difficulty or a pit or a challenge, there's a journey outward. So it's still like you're doing the productive life things. You're still sharing your faith. You're still baptizing other people. You're still helping other people follow Jesus. But because of what you've gone through, now your heart is changed. So you don't have the same motives when you do these things. You don't have the same attachments to the things of the world that help you cope like you did before. So you're, you're, there's this difference inside of you that manifests in how you do these things outwardly. And then finally, the, the sixth and final stage they talk about is the life of love and how the love of God is completed in your heart. And so I don't know if you've ever been around an older person who is a person of faith. I, I have been on the, the deathbed of a guy who... Um, you could feel it. You could sense. It was almost like, whoa, like this guy is close with God, like in a powerful way. And so I want to kind of illustrate this. And the reason I'm sharing this again is to say, if you become a Christian and you think I'm a Christian, my life's going to go good. God loves me. Every Sunday is a celebration service. Jesus is alive and victorious and he wants me to have an abundant life. If you think that's what you're signing up for, what happens when the pit comes? You're probably going to deconstruct your faith. You're probably going to turn to another sort of faith system, so to speak, whether it's a religion or some other, you know, way of thinking in our culture. You're probably just going to turn your back on God because there's not a category of seeing how suffering and trials and hardships are actually developing you in the stages of your faith. So in other words, there's purpose that's moving you along. And so I want to illustrate it. I know this is kind of an abstract thing. I want to illustrate the wall, the challenges, the pit, and the purpose that can come from it through Meg's mom, Lori. She just talked about, I called Lori this week because like Meg said, her and you didn't even say this too, that the same time Meg's brother almost lost his arm and had to have 16 surgeries because of an ATV accident. The children's minister uh, went to prison for abusing boys at their church and her mom got cancer, all boom, boom, boom. And so I'm just asking Lori, I'm like, how did you get through not just one wall, not just two walls, three walls, like back to back to back, all in the same time. How do you get through that? And one of the things that she kept coming back to again and again is she said, Preston, what I knew about God is that this cannot be for nothing. What I know about my God is that he can bring purpose 
There's purpose that can come from this hardship and difficulty. Again, she's not saying God caused this or blah, blah, blah. That's not what I'm saying. What she's saying is God can work all things together for good. He can take the junk that happens and bring good out of it. And she said, Preston, on the other side of this, I now know what desperation for God is like. She said, there were days when I woke up and I had to clean the drain and I, had to, I could barely shower. I could barely bathe myself. She said, there were days when I just woke up and I thought, God, please do not let me wake up. Please let me fall back asleep because I can't even get through the day. It was raw and gritty and hard. And she said, but Preston, if on the other side of all that, I now know what it's like to hunger for God and depend on God, it was worth it. When you go through a wall, there's purpose. You have to believe God can bring good out of this. What purpose comes from it? You become more like Jesus Christ. You share in the fellowship of his sufferings, Philippians chapter 3. You actually gain more intimacy because you're not just reading about the character of God and the nature of God, although that's really good. You're experiencing it in your life. So you know God is Jehovah Jireh when he provides for you. You experience who God is, and so you're more intimate with him. And like I said, you actually become less attached to the things of this world. I was talking to my grandparents last night, and they're talking about getting old and dying. And, they, and my grandfather said, you know, getting old is really tough, but he said, but it's really good for preparing me for heaven. It's really good because now he has a longing in his heart for a renewed and restored body, to have a resurrected body. If your body never fell apart, you wouldn't know the desire and the longing to be transformed and be resurrected from the dead, right? So I just want you to know right now, this morning, there is purpose. There can be good that comes from whatever you're facing. And so as I was thinking, what is a practical thing we can do? I, and I hope you all know this. I don't do any of this stuff for cheesiness. I don't do any of this thing to be cool. I do this to help you grow in your faith. So anything that I ever ask you to do, it is to help you grow in your faith. So I'm going to ask you to repeat after me this affirmation, and I want you to say this affirmation when you need to believe this to yourself throughout the week. There's not any magical power in it. The point is you're actually exhorting yourself to choose what you're going to believe. Okay, so I'm going to tell you up front so that you know what you're going to say and so you can feel good about saying it. Okay, all right, so I want you guys to say, you just wait for it, I believe. I believe there is purpose, there is purpose in my pit, in my pit, okay? Can you decide if you can believe that and say that to yourself? All right, so repeat after me. I believe, I believe. There, is purpose there is purpose in my pit. And I hope you're really believing that. And I hope that you'll continue to say that to yourself and through whatever you're going through. That's the very first thing. We have to believe that as we're journeying through life, regardless if this is 100% true or not, it's probably not, but there's benefit in seeing when hard things happen, God can bring good out of it. So that's the first thing. The second thing, this morning, if your life is falling apart, the second step of faith that I want to invite you to take is to let others bear your burdens. So we got to believe there's purpose in our pit, and we've got to let others bear our burdens. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
If I asked you before I read that, hey, what would you do if you wanted to fulfill the law of Christ? Would you have thought, oh, bear the burdens of my brothers and sisters in Christ, obviously. No, you probably wouldn't have thought that. I wouldn't have thought it either. But this is what God's commanded us to do, to let others bear our burdens and to bear others' burdens. And so I think for a lot of us, it can be difficult. This can be hard to do. And we have a bunch of different reasons that we don't want to let others bear our burdens. We might think, we might start comparing and thinking, well, you know, I haven't been through that. My thing isn't that bad. Or we might think, well, I can't, I can't share my burdens with people because, well, then what if it just, it's just negative on them? You know, like I, I can't do that to them. Or, or I'm a man, I'm a husband, I can't share my burdens because then that's weakness. Or whatever it is. And obviously you have to share you got to pick who you're going to share with and how you're going to share it wisely. So you can't just dump it on anything on anybody at, at any time, right? I'm not saying that. It's hard to let others help you, but it can be beautiful when it happens. I want you to watch this in action. Olympic Stadium in Barcelona coming up to the men's 400-meter semifinals. Here are the lane assignments. Steve Lewis in lane three. Top four to Wednesday's final. Steve Lewis in lane three. Roberto Hernandez out quickly in four. Now down the back stretch. Ismael on the left of the screen is running very, very quickly. And inside of Lewis, Sunday Bada of Nigeria. And Derek Redmond of Great Britain has pulled up with an injury. Redmond is out. Derek Redmond, the British record holder and an important member of that British 4 by 400 meter relay team as he doesn't want anybody to help him. It'll be Lewis to win in 44.50. Look at this. He's going to try to finish his semifinal race. The British have a certain tradition of running which you have to respect a bizarre finish to this first semi-final in the men's 400 meters Derek Redmond of Great Britain pulled up with an injury halfway down the back stretch he's fighting off those trying to help him to finish the race in his lane and now the pain too much. throughout Olympic Stadium as Redmond, with assistance this time, approaches the finish line he had wanted so desperately to reach. That is the Olympic spirit. 1992, Derek Redmond, Great Britain, running the Olympics, and he pulls his hamstring. And you saw that moment where the first person tried to help him, and he wouldn't let him help him. 
And the announcer mentioned it. He said, ah, he didn't want anybody to help him. And he started to run, and, and man, how powerful was that? As he, he was going and going and going, and then you could see he just he couldn't keep going. And then all of a sudden, his dad comes in. And some of you are like Derek Redman because you're running this race of faith and you're going through something. And you don't want anybody to help you. And people would help you, but you're waving them off and you're saying, no, I'm going to do this on my own. And you might can do it on your own for a little bit, but there's going to come a point where you need somebody else to bear your burden. You need Jim Redman to come in and help you and come alongside you and just walk with you. And wasn't it so powerful that 65,000 people were moved? Isn't it so powerful that we're all moved? Why? Because we see the beauty of what can happen when we let others bear our burdens. I just, I believe that the cloud of witnesses in heaven, when they see one of us let someone help us, that they clap like that, that they get excited like that, that they say that's what the body of Jesus Christ is designed for. Stop holding it all yourself. Stop thinking that you got to be tough and carry it on your own. Let the body of Christ help you. So I want to give two practical things that we can do here with this. The first is I just want you to write down the names of two to four people right now, if you're taking notes, who are those people? You can be authentic with everybody. I'm, I, I try to be 100% authentic with all of you, but I can't share the deepest things that I'm going through with everybody. And you don't need to do that either. But you got to have a few people. So write those names down. Who are two, three, four people, either whether what you're going through right now or in the future, I am going to talk to these people. I'm going to let them help me. Write those names down. The second part of this, practically, you can keep writing if you, if you need to, but the second part of this practically is that some of you are going to have someone who now or in the future is going to say, hey, I need your help. I'm going through something. I really need you to, to bear this burden with me. What do you do? What do you do in order to help bear someone else's burden? Well, there's too much to say in like uh, a 35-minute sermon, but one thing that I would say is... I would not try to instruct them theologically or exhort them to action too soon. In other words, I think that we get so worried about, what do I say, what do I say? You really shouldn't say too much. You really shouldn't go in there guns blazing and say, well, yeah, God works all things together for good. And, hey, he's trying to put a test in your testimony, a mess in your message. Now, don't go running in there and saying all those platitudes and all that stuff, Right? Here's what you can do. When, when someone's going through something like that, you can tell them, hey, I'm here. And I'm so sorry that you're going through this. You just enter into their grief with them. And I'm not saying we never bring up truth or never instruct them in some way, but I'm just saying on the front end, man, just, just be there with them, a ministry of presence. Say, I'm here for you, and I'm so sorry that you're going through this. So the first thing that we got to do is we've got to believe, we've got to decide that we believe that there is purpose in our pit. And the second thing we've got to do is we've got we've to let people, let other people bear our burdens. And so here's the third step of faith I want to invite you to take. Bring your lament to the Lord. 
bring your lament to the Lord. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 17 to 24. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Then I thought my future is lost, as well as my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Yet, I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies are never ending. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. There's some churches that every Sunday they actually refer to what we're doing now as their nine o'clock celebration. That's not wrong. There's some people who, when their family members have died, they said we'll have a celebration of life. That's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. I've been to I like celebrations of life. But we don't have a category for lament as especially white Americans. We don't have a category for weeping and wailing and crying out brokenhearted and expressing those emotions to God. Uh, uh, other people do. Uh, I think of our African-American brothers and sisters that because of slavery and because of the spirituals that they sang, they know what it's like to lament. Other cultures, when people die, it's seven days of mourning and, and fasting and weeping and wailing. But we have celebration services and celebrations of life. And my point is, if there's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations, if there's a whole book in the Bible about Job and spent 35 chapters crying out to God in despair, if one-third of all the prayers and songs in the book of Psalms are about lament, we need lament. We have to have that category. There's something deep within us that we were made to be able to express our questions and our hurt and our pain to God. I think about Mark and Sarah Vrogop. Um, he's a pastor. His wife was carrying uh, their baby girl for nine months. And one night she woke up and she said the baby felt heavy. And they went to the hospital and they looked at the heartbeat and there was no heartbeat. And they were crushed. And the doctors told her, you've got to deliver this unborn baby. The Lord began to teach them how to lament. And Mark wrote a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. I think this would be a really helpful resource. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And here's a quote from it that really touched me. He said this, prayerful lament is better than silence. However, I found that many people are afraid of lament. They find it too honest, too open, or too risky. But there's something far worse. Silent despair. Giving God the silent treatment is the ultimate manifestation of unbelief. Despair lives under the hopeless resignation 
that God doesn't care, he doesn't hear, and nothing is ever going to change. People who believe this stop praying. They give up. This silence is a soul killer. See, we're afraid to lament at times because we think it's going to offend God. And so we can end up just not talking to God about what we're going through. We can just try to stuff the emotions and say, oh, no, hey, how you doing this morning? Oh, I'm good. How you doing? We just stuff it. We just stuff it down. It's not, it's not real. It's not happening. Let's just keep it moving. I'm doing good. I'm going to pull myself together. And what Mark found, what his wife Sarah found, is that when they actually did what the Bible talks about and lamented to the Lord, that was actually an expression of faith and trust. And so I think we need to do this right now. We need to actually learn to do this. And so some of you, you're not in a place this morning where this is going to fit you, and that's okay. You don't have to be. But this is good practice, and you can teach this to others. But for those of you who are in this place, I hope this is going to be really helpful. So I just want you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. And we're going to apply this right now by doing a guided prayer time. So pray quietly to yourself in your own heart. I'm going to lead you through four steps of being able to lament. So here's the first one. This is probably the quickest and easiest, but I'll let you sit with it for a second. The first step is turn. We've got to turn to God. So just start a conversation with God. So it might sound something like this. Father. Go ahead and just start the conversation. Take a moment to do that. The first step you've just made is that you've decided you're not going to give God the silent treatment. You're going to talk to him about what you're going through. You've turned. The second step is complain. So honestly talk with God right now about your struggles. Just tell him what you're feeling. Tell him how you're upset. Tell him what you're disappointed about. Just be honest. Talk to him right now. Complain. turn to God. You've started to complain to God and just talk with him honestly. The third step is ask. Ask God to move in your heart and in your life. You know his character. You know what's in alignment with his will. Pray and ask him. Call upon him to move in your situation. Go ahead and ask him for what you need.
you've turned to God, complained, and you've asked him to move. The fourth step is to trust. So you just express your trust to God. It might sound something like this. You come up with your own thing. It's just like that lamentation passage. He said all the things, and then that key word, yet. You might say yet, you might say and, you might say but. Whatever that word is, you turn it and you say, yet, I trust in your faithful love, God. I know that you're going to rescue me in the end. I'm going to sing to you because you've been good to me. So take a moment and express trust. Choose to believe based on who God is and the things that he does. Choose to trust him. Express that trust to him now. Father, thank you for listening to our laments. Lord, help us to not hide or to withdraw from you when we're going through difficulties, but help, help us to draw nearer to you. Help us to press into you, Lord, and just be honest with you about what we're going through, and yet help us to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the fourth step of faith, we've talked about believing there's purpose in your pit, letting others bear your burdens bring our laments to the Lord. The fourth and final step of faith I want to give you today is choose to hold on to hope. Choose to hold on to hope. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold on firmly to the hope we profess because we can trust God to keep his promise. Horatio Spafford was a successful attorney and real estate investor. He lost everything in the great Chicago Fire of 1871. He also soon after lost his four-year-old son to scarlet fever. So he thought a vacation would be good for his wife, Anne, and for their four daughters. And so he said, hey, y'all take a vacation. Um, They actually sailed to England. And so he said, I got to finish up some work stuff, and then I'm going to travel and come to England to meet you there. So Horatio's wife, Anne, and their four daughters, they're traveling, and one night their ship hits another ship over the Atlantic. The boat sank, and over 200 people died. Horatio one day gets a letter from his wife, Anne, a telegram, and it said, Saved alone, what shall I do? So Horatio immediately, as fast as he could, got on a ship, traveled to England and as he was on his way the captain of the ship said it was somewhere in this area where we believe that your wife's ship was hit somewhere in this area where your four daughters died think about that pit he was in think about the wall that Horatius Baffert hit losing all four of his daughters And as he looked out over the sea in that moment, he had these words come to his mind. When peace like a river 
attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul and so I want to give you an opportunity to express that you're choosing to hold on to hope and we're going to do that by singing together so you can just stay seated right here um the band's going to lead us in a little bit of it as well. You don't have to sing. If you want to just sit and, and let the Lord minister to you, that's fine. But if you would, I'm going to sing. Feel free to sing with me. So let's sing together. When peace like a Attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. you guys to sing that with us one more time, just the chorus. It is well, it is well, with my soul, with my soul, it is well, it is well, with my soul. Leave that based on who God is, because he's trustworthy, that you're going to choose to hold on to hope. Whatever that looks like, believe this is going to come to an end. This is not going to last forever. And even if it lasts until death, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and make you new and make all things new, and all of the brokenness will be undone in the end. It will not last forever. Choose to hold on to hope. Let's pray together. Father, God, I pray that your spirit has been speaking and ministering and giving hope and practical steps of faith to everybody here this morning. God, for people right now who their life has fallen apart, it feels that way. God, reassure them of your love. Reassure them of your sovereignty, your ability to take broken things, broken situations, evil, and bring good out of it, God. Lord, we trust you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.